been a busy week man we think we're gonna get a break and every week is a busy week i'm joined today by bailey perkins hi bailey hello andy how are you today i'm doing all right so it's all right. always as always it's friday but um i took the day off so um, hey it's been a good friday for sure i have forgotten what a day off is like <laughs> Scott is not able to join us today. I assume he worked today, but he is moving tomorrow, and so he is uh, doing moving things, <laughs> last-minute stuff. Um, so best wishes to him. Maybe he'll listen to us. Although he is texting me right now, so I guess he's not that busy. <laughs> anyway, so uh, today let's kind of go through a few things. We want to do an update on COVID, of course, a brief recap of the of President Trump's rally last week in Tulsa, which happened, I guess, the day after we recorded last week. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the election that's coming up next week. And, uh, or technically the, now. That's true. <laughs> you can vote today. There's still time. And, uh, uh, and then problems. Sticker. What's that? I have to show my sticker. Oh, nice. There you go. I uh, I did a drive-by notarization of an absentee ballot and then had to circle back by their house with a sticker later because I forgot it the first time. Make sure that people get their get their stickers, even if you vote Gotta absentee. Have a sticker. That's yes. right. Uh, and then we'll also touch on the continuing problems and perhaps escalating problems at the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission, which is the AKA Unemployment Office. Um, and if we have time, we'll talk about interim studies, although there may not be time because it's been a busy week. So. Uh, I'll start by mentioning COVID. Normally, we, we dish this over to Scott as the physician in our midst, uh, but the news is not good, right? They they are continuing to increase the number of cases. Uh, we had around 400 cases again today, and so the seven-day moving average just keeps going up, right? Like, uh, the number of cases goes up. We've had almost... 1500 cases in the past week uh, and so i think we're going to end I, I need to look again but we might have ended this week with as many cases as we had like in the entire month of april which was yes. the the quote peak right i'll do air quotes right. peak and so we're not the only state that's going up although we are one of the worst but we are seeing this in a number of states particularly in the midwest and the south right Texas had one day that had 5,000 cases hit. Mm -hmm. So Florida um, had 8,200 today, wow. which is mind-blowing, right? So maybe, you know, we'll take our, uh, count our blessings where we can find them, but it's still not good. Uh, and so when you look at the number of cases, the number of deaths, and the number of hospitalizations, that curve on the graph, like it, it was going down for a while. And then starting in mid-June, which was two weeks after Memorial Day weekend, right? And we when started... we started reopening businesses yep. again. That's right, because we started reopening at the end of, uh, um, towards the end of May. Mm -hmm. And so as we expected, right, there'd be an increase. I don't know that even I expected it would be this steep, though. It's just shooting up there. And so... Yeah. And even with like the cases going up, there are some areas like in Houston, for instance, 
are saying that their hospitals are reaching maximum capacity and being able to uh, cater to those who may have severe COVID um, symptoms. And so that's really scary possibilities that not only are cases going up, but hospitals are becoming overwhelmed. Right, because that then affects not just COVID patients, but everybody else, right? You have a heart attack, a car accident, a baby, anything else, and there is less and less room for people to be treated. Absolutely. And Bailey, you mentioned Texas a couple of times there. Uh, Greg Abbott, who's the governor of Texas, earlier this week or end of last week, started coming out saying, hey, listen, y'all, you've got to wear masks, Um, which was a bit of a shift in his rhetoric, right? He had been pretty pro, like, just open up and do what you want. And he was like, no, listen, everyone needs to wear a mask. Like, we're not messing around. And now they have effectively paused their reopening and even kind of rolled back. So restaurants are going back to 50%. Bars are closing. Mm -hmm. Places that people would gather unmasked and talk a lot, right? Like where you would... And like, I was thinking about this before we recorded today. Like, I desperately miss recording with you guys in person in our studio. We just bought new microphones at the beginning of the year. We've used them like three times. And I went by there uh, myself because there's no one else around. I was like, man, I wish we could come back in here. But the worst thing we could possibly do is sit in a room together and talk at each other for an hour, hour and a half, right? Like, that's uh, the exact way that you... You spread it. Spread the virus, yeah. So, well, and and a lot of things that people are thinking was like, well, didn't we increase testing? So we know that there's going to be more cases on that. We're doing more testing. But one of the misnomers is that we haven't um, increased the rate of testing since we started building up on our testing infrastructure. So the fact that we're doing more tests isn't indicative of the fact that more uh, COVID cases are spreading. Right, right. We So testing has in, increased just slightly, and, and it's almost flat in Oklahoma. But even with more tests, there are more of the tests that are positive than before. So we are, you would think it would be, a, the rate would be, would be stable there, and it's not the case. Like, right. the more tests we find, like a higher proportion of them are positive positive and so it's clearly spreading and i mean even the department of health has said like here are the the seven ways that from the data right like we've we've done contact tracing we have interviewed thousands of people now and these are the top seven places that they contracted the virus and it's like it's weddings other small events gyms house gatherings funerals bars and faith faith-based activities. Yeah, man. My wife's uh, uh, gym sent an email the other day that said, hey, we've got two cases, but, you know, we're still open. Just, but I mean, if if you're at the gym, right? Like you're in an enclosed space, you're huffing and puffing, you're breathing, other people are breathing. Ta-da, that's how you get it. Um, It does seem like from the data that we have here and in other states that the rallies have not contributed to an increase right and i mean i we said this before in the podcast scott and i went to the um the first rally together here in oklahoma and we were both like almost shocked at the percentage of people that were wearing masks like almost everybody i can i can think of 
one person that I saw that was not because I recognized him, um, and uh, that may have to do with his political affiliation. I don't know, but I mean everybody else. Like it was, it was almost weird seeing thousands of people all mask up and being like, I barely recognize everybody. Um, even seeing the mayor and JD from uh, across the parking lot, like you can see the mayor because he's tall, white guy in the right. middle of the crowd, right? But like he was masked up, like everyone, yeah. and so. So that's when good. you're in an outdoor space and people are wearing masks, yeah. it reduces your likelihood of contracting or passing it on if you are asymptomatic. And so um, someone posted a really neat graphic on social media. Um, and I'm trying to remember like what entity it was, but they did the graphic of like very high, high, medium, yeah. low, very low. And they showed like the picture of like two people standing right next to each other without masks and how that's very high. And then asymptomatic person wearing a mask versus non-symptomatic and then where that falls on the scale. But yeah. um, your likelihood of contracting it when both people you're around are wearing masks and their social distancing is very low. So, and another tweet that I saw that I think was powerful in illustrating like the the importance of people wearing masks was, you know, people would say, you know, I wish if there was a medication that could just, you know, get rid of this, they would take it in a heartbeat. But that medication is wearing masks and social distancing. Right. 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 <laughs> so that's the thing that helps us reduce this and keep people from spreading COVID is wearing masks and social distancing. So, yeah, it really is. I mean, of all the things you have to do, like wearing a mask is not that big of a deal. Like I, I keep mine in my car and I put it on whenever I go in somewhere. So I went to the post yeah. office the other day. Today I had to, I went to the liquor store. I had to, you know, um, went to Lowe's, like just normal things. And I don't lollygag. Like I get in and get out, do what I got to do. Um, but I wear my mask and, and the mask is not, unfortunately, it's not to protect me. I wish that that was the case, right? That I would feel better knowing that I'm protecting myself, but wearing a mask really protects other people in case you have it and you don't know it. And I good example of this, he just tweeted about this right before we started recording. Uh, but local reporter Paul Moneys, who I'm sure many of our listeners know, uh, he's P Moneys on Twitter. He works for Oklahoma Watch, a great investigative reporter and a good friend. And he found out this morning that he is infected with COVID. Um, he got tested. He's not symptomatic. In fact, he ran five miles this morning and feels fine. Um, but he covered the the rally last weekend. And Which was had masked. a lot of people who didn't wear masks. That's right. He wore a mask. Like He wore a very protective mask um, the whole time. But it was just said, unfortunately, that mask doesn't protect him. And so he got it anyway because there were a lot of people there that were not masked and and so I, it's been one week, and so I guess this is the earliest that we'll start seeing the outcome of that. Um, but over the next week, I expect our numbers, and even now, the numbers in Tulsa are going up. Because it was the City, highest before yeah. the rally even happened. Right. It's not. It's not good. Mayor Bynum, I'm sure, is freaking out up there. So anyway, our thoughts are with Paul Moneys and his family, because now his wife has to get tested, and they've got young kids, and um, when I... I was going today to to notarize his wife's ballot anyway, and she called me and said, hang on, we just got a call. Um, you know, let's talk about how to do this healthily or whatever, the carefully. And so she just put her, you know, put her ballot on the porch and stood at the door with her ID so I could verify it was her. Not that I didn't know, but we did the whole thing. And then 
She even put a little bottle of sanitizer out there and I have Lysol wipes in my car and I wear my mask anyway and use my own pen and all that stuff. Because this is probably the first time that I've interacted with someone that I know is infected, right? Like Mm -hmm. people I suspect, and I'm sure it's happened at the store or whatever, but don't know that. And so then I got back to my car and Paul came outside and we kind of talked across the yard um, to catch up. And he was like, yeah, I've got a, I've been at the Capitol. I've been in the office this week. I've got to call a bunch of people and tell them like, Hey, and I was like, man, can you imagine having to make those phone calls and just, but I think it's, increasingly likely right like this is at some point we're going to get a call from someone we know that's like hey i know i saw you three days ago and i have um, covid yeah i have covid so you should get tested but that leads to the big increase in testing we've seen right and i think um i don't know if you've tried to get tested or not but from what i hear lines are very long and the there's a significant wait in lots of places like you have to almost get an appointment to get a test mm-hmm. at this point because i know some folks who needed a test they were in an environment i think they work in healthcare, and they were needing to get one quickly um but they had to wait a few days i believe with the county health department in order to, to get an mm-hmm. appointment i heard that cvs is doing testing um but walgreens is not so mm-hmm. um it's pretty tough because so many people are now in spaces where it's where they needed to where even the system of getting tested may be overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, and, and I saw today that someone said they called their insurance company to ask and found out from that, that their insurance company has an agreement with first med, which is like those little dock in a box urgent Mm -hmm. care clinics. And so he was able to go and get tested and do a rapid test and got results like in a few hours, like the same day almost. And I was like, well, that seems like the way to go. Absolutely. And, but then I was driving around today um, and saw a bunch of people sitting on patios at restaurants, like in close quarters, you know, talking and eating and breathing on each other. And they were outside, but like, I don't know if I'd risk it, you know, yeah. like across the table from somebody. I might stand across the yard, but if I would sit across the table from somebody. Sure. What a time to be alive. All right. So another interesting piece, though, that I think is important to to note is they say that the risk category of those who have positive COVID cases are between the ages of 18 and 35. Yeah. And, you know, contrary to. (laughs) Well, contrary to. beliefs of the vice president of the United States, it's not an encouraging thing that people between 18 to 35 have this because there are many people who are 18 to 35 that may have um, underlining health conditions that they may not know or they may be immunocompromised for whatever reason. And so um, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, You may have a higher likelihood of recovering, but you could still get somebody else sick. Um, and so I don't think that's something that we need to celebrate either is that, you know, it's younger folks who have it because younger folks are more likely to be mobile. They're more likely to be in the workforce. Right. <laughs> and they're right. more likely to be around other people and spread COVID and make others ill. So, right. Well, and, and I, I had this conversation with my mom earlier today who is older and at high risk for some health reasons. Um, and 
the the use of the term recovered i think we all just assume they're all better right like because if you recover from the flu you're generally recovered right and everyone's still making that analogy but with covid we have enough data now and i mean to be clear we're only four months into this like this is still relatively new right, right. um it's not like the flu where we have literally decades and millions and millions of data points to like examine so this yeah. is still very new um but from what we know that like the two outcomes are either deceased or recovered but recovered includes a lot of scenarios including like respiratory not, issues yeah like long-term lung damage um people have strokes and then are paralyzed like the covet has a lot of things and i think it's just now getting to the point where we're starting to see some of those stories because enough people have had it happen. And we, I think we need to hear The public needs to understand that like, yes, you might recover. You might be infected and asymptomatic and never have any symptoms. And, and you were very fortunate, but a lot of folks get sick and then have, and, and then while the virus may resolve, right. they get over that, but the, the after effects, the leftover effects could continue for months or years. And so, right. That's the part that we don't. And they're know. still learning about it. Right. And so even when it comes to treating folks who are experiencing these different, I guess, side effects from COVID. Doctors are still trying to fig figure out what this is, how to pinpoint it and how to treat people post recovery. And so mm -hmm. um, I hope that more people really begin to take this seriously because we keep pointing and alluding to the flu. But in 1918, people were treating the flu in the way that we are treating COVID now, right? right. <laughs> Trying to figure it out. And so um, it, it's important that people really take this seriously and not knock it as a, a media hoax. Right. So Right. Well, and, and you know, there's a, a graph that has been widely circulated this week that compares the United States to the European Union as a whole, right? So, and there's like a parallel trajectory going up and they both peaked in April about the same point and they both started going down. But the year, most European countries like continued their lockdown for like two weeks longer. Right. And, and even at the time we started opening, everyone said we should wait two more weeks, man. Like that's not that long, but we were eager to be the first ones open and the United States flattened out and like, but not not in the flatten the curve way we all right. hoped. It like the de the decrease stopped, and now it's going back up. And so while meanwhile Europe is is eradicating the virus, you know, like and so what's going to happen is they will be able to fully open before we are. And if you are worried about the economic impact of this, people are talking about what's happened so far, and the real story is what's going to happen over the next eighteen to twenty four months, right? when the United States is still crippled and we're still not able and we are losing, you know, tens of thousands into the millions of people who are dying and thus leaving the economy, we will not be recovered. Meanwhile, other countries are going to come back and companies are going to shift production, right? Like even I was reading about Tesla, full disclosure, I own some, my very tiny amount of Tesla stock. Um, and I'm interested in their business in many ways. So they have a, they have an earnings call next week and investors or the analyst or whomever it is that puts out guidance 
said that they're hoping that the Tesla's Chinese factories are able to pick up the slack from the American factory. So they have a big factory in California that's been closed and he even tried to open it several times and they had more cases. So they, there's a lot of stuff in the news about it. And so they have a factory in Shanghai and that one has actually had to ramp up to compensate for the United States. And I was like, how about that? Right? Like China where the virus started, they had a very strict lockdown and now they're able to take up the slack for the United States because we're too, narcissistic to wear masks well and i think there's this um unreasonable um dichotomy of economy versus the people Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be that way because the quicker we solve this public health challenge the quicker we can restore the economy and getting people back to work in a way that's safe and if we're if we're losing a bunch of workers and those who have, you know, the specialties to do the different things and who's going to work at that Tesla plant. <laughs> right. Right. And so um, it do- it's not an either or idea. And I mean, I know we're going to talk about this here soon, but like even looking at the, the long lines of, of uh, unemployment, um, there are different ways that government can help during um, this rough period so that we can flatten the curve and then ramp back up. Right, right. Yeah, I had a friend that texted me yesterday out of the blue and just said, if you were president, what would you do to respond to the COVID crisis? And I was Mm. like, oh, give me a minute. Like, let me not just have a knee-jerk response to this, but that's a good question because it makes you think it's easy for any of us, right, any person just to sit home and be like, that's the wrong thing to do. And then, but to have someone put you on the spot and say, well, what, what would you do? you do? Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, this is this is good. Um, so we kind of touched on this a second ago, and let's just do a quick recap. Last Saturday was President Trump's um, Make America Great Again or whatever the slogan is for this campaign. First rally, they've been saying post-COVID. Clearly not post-COVID, but, but since the start of COVID. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was in Tulsa. We talked about it in last week's show. And there was uh, expectations that set by the campaign that attendance was going to be in the tens or twenties of thousands. And it seems like um, turnout was less than 10,000, right? It was like less than, it was less than like seven. 6,200 or something yeah. thereabouts. So Well, and I think one of the problems is that the campaign assumed that ticket reservations equated to participation. And there was a huge campaign of folks saying, you should register and take up tickets so that the arena could be empty. Right. (laughs) And so I don't think that was accounted for, that there were a lot of people who had no intention of participating in the first place. They were just going to try to take up an empty seat. And so... We well, had an overflow that you didn't even get to the overflow. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so they, you know, there was kind of a, an outcry from the youths, right? From TikTok users and K pop fans. I had to Google what K pop is. And, but to find out, or that they were the ones that were responsible for the, the discrepancy there. But I've got to imagine, like, what's his face? The, the campaign manager is not a dumb guy, right? Like, he's a bit of a, social media and data wizard which is why he has this job 
and they were saying they had more than a million reservations, right? So clearly not a million people it's, are coming. But it's about the optics, right? I don't even think it's about science. It's about the messaging. Right. And I mean, it was a fact that they had a million reservations. Right. And, <laughs> and that's my that's what gets me. Like, even if you think 90% of those reservations are bogus, right? Which seems like a high percentage, right? If 90% are bogus, that still leaves 100,000 that would be real. And to have a a tenth, no, a, a hundred, yeah, roughly a tenth of that that actually showed up, where it's like, that's crazy. Like, it was, I think it was a lot lower than anyone expected. I yeah, agree. Myself included. Well, um, and, and even, like, Tolson's, I think, were relieved at the fact that their city wasn't stormed by... yeah you know, a massive number of people from all these different places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's the, the silver lining there is that it was a peaceful event, right? Like there was, there were protests outside, like there are for everything, virtually any presidential thing, regardless of the president is right. Like president lands in your city to like do one thing and the people will show up. Um, But they were, and certainly right now at this point in history, there's going to be protests and uh, protests were fine. They, I mean, a few little skirmishes, but nothing like I think people were worried about, right? Like right. some of my friends who live in downtown Tulsa were legitimately nervous about what might happen. And that was it. And by like nine o'clock that night, streets were clear. Everyone's gone. It was all over. Trump was, Trump, Trump was walking across the lawn at the White House with his tie undone, which I've never seen he, him that. He looked worn out. He did. Um, and you know, I mean, I don't care what plane you're flying in, travel wears you out. It does. And, uh, Trump is a good 40 years older than me. It's about a three hour flight from Oklahoma City to to DC. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's less on the Air Force One, but then he's got to, he's got to take the chopper from the airport over to the White House, right? Like Marine One. And so, which sounds cool, but yeah, I mean, but he's, and he's 70. Nine seventy-eight. He's upper seventies. He's he, roughly he's up there. forty years older than me, um, and so I got to imagine that even regular travel is is wearisome for uh, for President Trump. Sure. All right. Well, um, let's move on to the uh, Oklahoma um, Employment Security Commission. Not commission. There you go. I always want to say council. So unemployment numbers are up. Um, if you're like me. You likely have two or three friends, maybe more, who have had fraudulent unemployment claims filed in their name. In fact, Scott had one filed in his name. Uh, My mother-in-law had one filed in her name this past week. And so it's clear that there's some outside, legitimately outside agitators, like out of this country, who have purchased data sets and through whatever means have manipulated the system to request fraudulent claims on behalf of tens of thousands of Oklahomans. So that stresses the system anyway. On well, a system that is like over 40 years old. Yes. So uh, the, uh, the employment security commission has a new director, Shelley Zumwalt, who I would love to have on the show sometime soon to talk about this. I did not feel today was the right day to call, <laughs> call her to do this uh, because they are rather busy. But she's been there just a few weeks, I think, mm-hmm. and 
has which probably feels like years at this point because yeah. COVID time just makes everything feel longer. Yes. Well, and there's been some really interesting news stories or interviews um, with her this week where they talk about, she said like she went in and basically said like to the staff, show me how you process claims. And they like pulled up some kind of green screen and hit F9. And she was like, okay, stop right there. What is happening? Like this is a system that even 15 years ago was not okay. Yeah. Furthermore, the agency has been cut. Like the number of people have been cut hundreds of people every year for the past decade. Um, I saw a tweet today and it was basically between 400 and 900 people every year for the last 10 years. So they are operating with fewer people with old systems at a time when there's a huge burden of fraudulent claims and a huge number of legitimate claims. And, and shout out to our local media for sharing the stories um, of what those who are facing unemployment are experiencing, um, stories of what the system is experiencing internally uh, to help paint the picture of what's happening in a holistic way. Because there's even stories about employees who wake up, go to work stressed out, go home stressed out because it's an overwhelming time to work for the OESC right now because it's overburdened. Yeah. And so what we've seen this week from where those stories came is lines of people wrapped around the building. Starting at like two, three in the morning. Right. Waiting to try to see somebody like at 8 a.m. Right. And, and not getting to, right? Like they said, Basically, if you're not here by 4.30 a.m., you're not going to get seen today. I don't I don't know what the process is, but I don't know why it takes so long. But they were basically able to process like 160, 170 people a day, which I guess is a decent number. But when you have thousands mm-hmm. who need it, that's not enough. Well, and when you have old systems, right? So when you're using technology from years ago it takes a while for things to process and to, to deal with the machinery. I'm sure if they had, if, if the Oklahoma legislature invested in them to update their technology and to hire more staff, I'm pretty sure they could do like triple, quadruple the number of people they're seeing per day. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So one thing they're doing in response that I saw today is that uh, Ms. Zumwalt said that they have secured the Reed Center in Midwest City, the Reed Conference Center. They're basically going to rent that out and have a big conference center as uh, like a, what's the word, like a separate office for people to come where they can process claims, right? Now, it's not ideal to get a bunch of people in the building, but that allows them to spread out sure. um, a little bit more because there's a bunch of breakout rooms plus big ballrooms and whatever else. So hopefully it'll be like, a clearinghouse where people can come. But if you don't live in Oklahoma city, right? Like it's still a burden to, if you are living Guyman and you are trying desperately to get in, um, it, it may or may not actually help you do that. So. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if you've been waiting four months for unemployment to come through and you don't have any other means to pay your car notes, um, or pay your rent or whatever, I'm sure it's adding an extra stress on the people's lives 
having to figure out how to to get to where they need to go to get that support. Um, Congress passed um, a few coronavirus relief bills, but many of the supports that they've added um, are running low, whether it's for small businesses or the uh, relief checks that they send out to every American. I mean, that helps somebody maybe for a few weeks max. So um, it's it's past time for Congress and then even our, our state legislature and our, our executive leaders to look at what things do we need to do now to help people get through because there was a man, his video was so powerful and I don't know which reporter captured it. I wish I could shout them out, but um, this man was talking to a, a state trooper because they had a trooper out there while mm-hmm. people were gathering in line and he passionately expressed like, this is crazy. Why are you out here and not them? Like we're mm-hmm. going hungry out here, you know? And so it's a breakdown in a system that's keeping people from getting what they need through this crazy time where they want to do the things they need to do to take care of their families. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I think it was in the Oklahoman, but yeah, don't quote me on that. Bailey, are you guys at the food bank scene? I assume you've had an increase in need during all of this. Um, what's that been like on your end? That's a great question because we are urging our congressional delegation now to help bolster SNAP in particular um, and also to increase um, a program called TFAP. So it's the Emergency Food Assistance Program that gives us federal dollars to be reimbursed for food purchases that we can get out to to people in need. Um, Feeding America recently released estimates that um, because of COVID and then other things like, for example, like oil and gas downturn, um, a lot of those things have crippled Oklahoma's economy to where they estimate that we've gone from one in six Oklahomans being hungry to one in five. And then about a third of Oklahoma's kids struggling during this time. And so we're definitely seeing higher demands in centers. And we've had to be really creative in figuring out how to keep um, staff and volunteers safe. Um, Because there are some areas where people have tested positive for COVID. So what what do you do, right? (laughs) So like... Um, especially when we rely heavily on on volunteer labor, labor on on helping us to to serve more people and to do it in an efficient way. And so, um, if more people had um, not just access to SNAP, but like increased SNAP benefits, then that means that they could go to a grocery store. Um, or a farmer's market, and they're stimulating the economy by doing that, but they're also able to get more for their families. And then even when they buy that food, they don't have to go left and right to, to figure out how to, to take care of their families and eat nutritious meals. And so um, that's one of our biggest pushes right now to our entire congressional delegation that we're asking people to help us on. We signed on to a sign-on letter that had uh, 2,500 organizations that focus on hunger advocacy across the country hmm. um, saying, hey, Congress, like we need you to step in and do more in um, the next um, coronavirus relief package. And we're hearing hmm. that they want to do something as um, as soon as like after the uh, July 4th holiday weekend. Hmm. So we'll see what happens next month in terms of um helping to support the charitable sector as they're trying to help 
patch holes that already existed because uh, Oklahoma already had a really high rate of uh, food insecurity. Yeah. And so COVID just exacerbates the issue. And so um, we're hoping that they'll add more support um, to the charitable sector, as well as strengthening the systems that we know work and yeah. boost the economy. So this doesn't have anything to do with food banks, but I appreciate you sharing all that. I think it's super important information. But uh, when you mentioned the additional legislative or congressional aid package, right, that they're proposing, I saw last week that someone had proposed an idea about giving people $4,000 to take vacations. And I would just thought it was so out of touch with how Americans live, right? Like, because there are all, people who have never taken a vacation in their life. No, I bet because... I've had two vacations in the past 15 years, like where we actually went somewhere. We went to Santa Fe for three yeah. days and then we, we drove to Santa Fe and then we drove, uh, no, we, for, we took a honeymoon a year late and we flew to, um, to Canada, to yeah. British Columbia. But yeah. And I can see the intention, the mindset, because the hospitality industry has been shattered mm -hmm. due to COVID. Um, there's a hotel chain that recently built, I think it built four or five months ago, and now it's completely empty. I drive mm -hmm. past it every day and I see like the lights off. Oof. And so I'm sure that there's fewer people flying. Um, yeah. There's fewer people you know, going to tourist destinations. And so I know they have to be hit in a tough way. And so I get the idea of wanting to help boost people's mental health and give them something, you know, that, that self-care aspect to then boost the hospitality industry. But I don't think that's the most important thing for people who are trying to survive during a pandemic. Like we can't send people to Disney World during a pandemic. Well, that was the that was the thing that was weird to me. There was like three things that were weird, and I felt we're out of touch. One, no one's taking vacations right now because everything's closed, and it's a bad idea, right? Right. Any any place that you would need to spend that much money. Secondly, I have never taken a vacation that was worth four thousand dollars. That sounds awesome, right? Like yeah. when I've priced my dream vacation on Expedia, it's like five thousand dollars, and that's like a whole week, and you know, going all in, and that's like flying to the South Pacific, and it's like a big deal and it doesn't uh, include like the money you have to spend once you get there to eat and, right. <laughs> and do stuff <laughs> i mean four grand is like you can that would be a heck of a vacation but third like the way that it was written is that you have to go spend the money first and basically get reimbursed by the federal government and i was like no one has four thousand dollars sitting around around yes Mo like and if you of do Americans then you don't need any type yeah, of assistance. right no i mean and uh, i was like did you not see all of the statistics that we know that like 70 percent of americans don't have four hundred dollars in the bank like much less four thousand yeah so they're, just, they're one situation away from from losing it all no it just came um, across like Oh, Congress wants to take a vacation and they want us to help pay for it, which is absurd. So, <laughs> um, yeah, man, anyway. Um, well, if you have any ideas, listeners, on how to, on good vacation places once this is all over, please send us an email at podcast at letsfixthisok.org. I'd love to hear your vacation ideas. All we can do these days is sit around and dream about taking a vacation. 
Or even staycation, you know, like I'm sure there's some places all over the state of Oklahoma, like some of our state parks that might be great to visit, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Yeah, imagine that. I was looking at places to hang up my hammock in the backyard. So maybe that's what I'll do this weekend. All right. um, Let's move on to the very important topic. Maybe we'll end on this. It's election season, right? Like we all know. And... So today we're recording this on Friday, the 26th, uh-huh. and that means early voting is underway as well as absentee voting or vote by mail. And they're seeing a record number of absentee ballots being submitted in. So this yes. is a really interesting time to show that like vote by mail is important to Oklahomans. I saw a tweet today that Tom Ridge said that vote by mail was totally safe and i thought they're doing a good job of pulling out people from both parties to be like listen quit quit trying to undermine the integrity of our elections by they're saying that vote by mail would undermine the integrity of the elections however that's not the case but you saying that that's what happened that's the actual undermining of the elections um yeah so i i saw something like there's been a hundred and four or hundred and forty thousand absentee ballots mailed out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember if that that is a record number, right? I believe it is. And especially so I, well, a record number, especially for a primary election. Yes, right. Because they already have low voter turnout in many primaries, and so this is a really interesting time that we're seeing so many. Um, absentee ballots requested. And I want to say, and this was maybe like a couple of days ago, so there was probably plenty more already mailed in, but they said they had like nearly 50,000 already submitted into the the election boards. Yeah, that's incredible. And I mean, they've got to just open the mail and then zip them through the machine there. If you have a uh, absentee ballot that you requested and you've already mailed it back in, you can go back onto the Oklahoma voter portal on the election board website and check the status. It's kind of like tracking a package, right? Like you can see that it was mailed to you. You can see if it's been received and then they'll, it'll say if it's been counted or not, um, which I think is cool. And also further evidence that vote by mail is totally great. Yeah. Yes. Um, very convenient. Yeah. So the election board had tweeted like what the results looked like from the primary election in 2016 for the u.s senate and the u.s house like how many votes were cast there um and i don't think they have added what's how many have been casted so far this year but um it does show that the turnout is up this year which is i think just really exciting absolutely Um, Well, and it goes to, like, there's also things for people to vote on in this primary election. So we have a a state question, right, Um, which often doesn't get scheduled in primaries. And so when we give people things to vote on and we have more competitive elections, we also see increases in people participating. And so that's something exciting that COVID isn't keeping people from exercising their right and using their voice in this election cycle. Yeah. No, I think that's, and there's some evidence that like state question 802, which is the Medicaid expansion 
could like is or could be or is a driver of turnout, right? That people will be people are more prone to show up to vote for it than they are to like be motivated to go vote against it. They'll just sure. not not vote for it. Uh, and so that will be a good that's good news for the 802 campaign, right? And, and supporters um, of that. So yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see um what happens. I I think it is important to note for our listeners and listeners, please tell your friends, we should not expect to have all these races called on Tuesday night. Like I think we are pretty accustomed, especially the last few elections to uh, like seven fifteen. Everything's been reported really well and we've got results. That may not be the case because of how many absentee ballots there are. Right. Um, and that's been the case in other States too. Like they're like, listen, we we're going to need a, several days or a couple of weeks to get all these counted before we can call some of these races. Now, some things might be a blowout, right? But, you know, hotly contested seats mm-hmm. um, and races. Well, are, and even the be... state question may, is supposed to be fairly close. So they yeah. will need to count those ballots to, to make sure that they can get a, a confirmed response. Cause that's a, that's a huge state question. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's going to be really interesting. So just uh, listeners remember that, I think our plan for Tuesday night um, is to do some sort of a live stream mini election night show um, with two or three of us, me, Scott and Bailey, um, doing something. And so we will stream it to Facebook and YouTube, uh, at least. We'll see about other We can stream as many places as we want to, I guess. But um, so we'll try to do something to kind of talk through some of these races and and what we're seeing, and you will undoubtedly hear us <laughs> uh, caution you to not make assumptions about who has won in races where we have a number of outstanding absentee ballots. Because they'll still report, they'll say, you know, we've got 59 of 60 precincts reporting. Well, that's fine, but none of those precincts account for the number of absentee ballots that are sitting there. So, right. Um, if you haven't yet mailed in your absentee ballot and you have one on your table at home, you have to have it postmarked by the five o'clock on election day. So on the 30th. So you still have time to mail it. You need two stamps, put it on there. You either need a copy of your ID or to have it notarized. If you want to go the notary route, any bank or credit union will let you do it there. Uh, any tag agency will let you do it there. Uh, you can hit me up. I've got my notary stamp in the car, and well, I guess it's inside right now. But anyway, I can put it in the car and come find you, and I'll give, even give you an I voted sticker so you can wear it with pride. On but I really Day. suggest don't wait until Tuesday to get that absentee ballot mailed. Um, right. If you can do it today or tomorrow, definitely knock it out. Um, cause I even have friends who said I never received my absentee ballot. And so you don't want to get to the, to the place where, um, you're turning it in late and it doesn't get there. And, and then your vote doesn't count or you're looking online and it says, I didn't vote. And you're like, yes, I did. <laughs> and so, um, the earlier you do it, the more peace of mind you can have in going to okvoterportal.okelections.us typing in your first and last name and your birthday and then seeing like, yep, my ballot was in there and I voted. So right. I went and it's still not too late to early vote either. I went today. Um, their polls are open till six o'clock today. So we're talking on Friday, June 26th. So till six o'clock 
tonight at your county election board or between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. Um, Saturday afternoon. Unfortunately, Oklahoma does not allow early voting on Mondays. I don't know why, but that it's a thing for us. And so um, you can either get that absentee ballot mailed in, uh, you can early vote today or tomorrow, or which is Saturday, um, or go on, on June 30th. It was really fast for me today. I mean, we waited in line, when I say we, me and my fiance, we waited in line maybe, uh, or my fiance and me, uh, <laughs> talk properly. Um, we waited in line maybe, 10 minutes max. And then we were able to get in within a couple of seconds, sign our notice saying we did not vote with our absentee ballot, vote on the measures that we had and get out the door. So nice. it was very quick. I was gonna say that, that if you receive an absentee ballot, you don't have to send it in. You can still vote in person. You just have to sign a thing saying, I promise I didn't. I vote. didn't. Yeah. Um, and if you're not sure what's on your ballot, we have a blog post on our website, letsfixthisok.org, um, that uh, that I wrote yesterday that kind of explains what all you could expect to see on your ballot, the different races, and it, it all comes down to which party you're registered with and where you live, right? So, um, but it kind of talks through that, so, and then the state question for everybody. So mm -hmm. feel free to take a look at that. Um, like for example, and, if you live in the village, you're going to have an additional thing to vote on. Oh, so it's what they have up there. Um, it's a, I don't know what specific the measure is, but it's, um, a, um, local municipal, hmm. uh, question. So I'll have to look that up in some kind of tweet city funding situation. Probably so, you know, and, and depending on your registration, I think there's, well, I think in Oklahoma County, there's a, a, primary for the county sheriff in mm -hmm. both parties right so there's you get a lot of those things so anything municipal there's county things there's um some of counties u.s representative yeah corporation commission there, there's a bunch of uh, positions and stuff out there so take but a look. remember when you go to the voter portal that's look right at the ballot yeah you can look at your sample ballot on there which i think is helpful and you can even print it out and write on it and then bring that with you as like a cheat sheet Voting is an open book test, if you'd like it to be. So, all right. Well, on that note, I'm just going to say up front that decisions are made by those who show up. So you've got to vote to have to have a voice in the decision being made. And you, by golly, you really need to. So congrats here, to everyone here. who's already voted. Uh, Bailey, congrats on your voting. Good job. Thanks. Uh, all right. Well, we will talk to you guys on Tuesday, um, June 30th, for our election night live stream. And then we'll probably do a recap next Friday, a usual, usual weekly update. Um, have a great week, everybody. Bailey, thanks for being here. Thank you, Andy. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show on the podcasts because uh, you'll find us. Um, tell your friends to tune in on Tuesday for our live stream as well. That would be fun. You can ask questions in the chat. Maybe we can respond. Um, you can connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, at Let's Fix This OK. Scott, who's not here today, but he is on Twitter, at SC Melson. Bailey's at Bailey M. Perkins. I'm at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Let's Fix This OK. And our website is Let's Fix This OK.org. On there, you can sign up for a newsletter, a blog. Find some other resources and details about upcoming events if and when we have them again in the time after Corona. 
you can also make a donation, which would be really appreciated because that's how we do everything we do, including this podcast. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott Bailey and me. And let's pod this as a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network based right here in Oklahoma City. Our theme music is called Rhino Funk by the artist So Down. Let's fix this as a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with the government. We encourage you to get involved any way you can. And I'll say it again, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week, everybody.